This morning we are in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. We're finishing up on Romans chapter 2. And we're continuing with our mini-series on sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as I reminded us before, it is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But our goal here in going through this and learning these things and considering these truths, our goal is not that we merely gain more knowledge about these topics, that we become more knowledgeable. Oh, I know more about sin. I know more about righteousness. I know more about judgment. That's not our primary goal. Our primary goal here is that we develop a biblical understanding that helps us to discern sin in ourselves and have that awareness that leads us to repentance. So we know more about sin, not for the sake of being able to say, oh, that's sin, that's not, but to discern it in ourselves and to say, Lord God, I repent, I come to you, I see that this is going on in my life and I need your forgiveness, I need your cleansing. We want in similar way to avoid self-righteousness and instead clothe ourselves with the righteousness of God. And we want to prepare for judgment by being accountable for our words and our thoughts rather than being judgmental, rather than judging others. So sin, righteousness, and judgment, we want to have these truths lived out in our lives, lived out as we live out the gospel. Now, let's read Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29 as part 3 of our little mini-series on sin, righteousness, and judgment. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is, not, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. As you read this passage with its references to Jews and circumcision and the law, 
you may find it a little difficult to relate to it. And you may say, I'm not sure I see myself in the context of these verses. And some teachers of the word have suggested that you substitute the word Christian and non-Christian for the words Jew and Gentile when you read the passage as a means of making it personally relevant. So you could read verses 17 through 24 in this way. Now if you call yourself a Christian, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law as it is written? God's name is blasphemed among the non-Christians because of you. Now, that kind of a substitution can be helpful. It makes us aware of the biblical warning here against hypocrisy. But we have to be careful that if and when we make this kind of a textual substitution, substitute those words, you know, Christians and non-Christians instead of Jews and Gentiles, that we never think of it as Christians having replaced Jews as a spiritual substitution. So it's a textual substitution, but we should not be thinking of it as a spiritual substitution. There has been an incorrect teaching in the church that God's covenant with Abraham is nullified and that the church has taken the covenantal place of relationship and privilege that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. It's called replacement theology. And we're going to see later in the later chapters in Romans that God's covenants still stand and that non-Jewish believers in Jesus, in Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah are grafted into the branches represented by Abraham and his descendants. So I'll talk more about how we, could, we should understand the past, the present, and the future of the Jewish people in subsequent weeks. I'll come to that topic and we'll talk more about that. But this morning, what I want to be careful about, I want to just sort of, you know, when we read these scriptures and we understand this, I want us to be careful that we don't substitute it in a way that would be incorrect or just contrary to what the word is actually telling us. Anti-Semitism in many forms has taken place because of these kinds of replacement thinking. So instead of using or relying on substitutionary language, let's just consider the points that Paul is making to the Jewish believers, but these points apply just as well to our lives. So what are the points that he's making? There are three main points that Paul makes. The first one he says, he says, you think that keeping the law including being circumcised, or think about any example of us keeping the law, including being circumcised, you think that keeping the law makes you righteous. Right? That's the first thing he's telling them. Valid point to us too. The second thing he says is, in keeping the outer observances of the law, but not paying attention to the inner requirements of the heart that the law is pointing to, you have ended up as hypocrites. You don't practice what you preach. Again, absolutely valid point for us to consider. And the third thing he says is, you need 
a circumcision of the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you may be praised by God and not people. So let's look at those three points just a little bit more. So first thing is, keeping the law does not make us righteous. Keeping the law does not make us righteous. You sort of agree with that. You sort of think about that. There's, but there's nothing wrong in knowing and internalizing the law of God. In fact, God's word tells us to keep his laws. It tells us to obey his commandments. It tells us that there is great benefit in keeping the law. When we live as law-abiding citizens of the kingdom of God, we are kept from willful sin. We receive wisdom and insight. The law refreshes us and gives us life. That's what the Bible tells us. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 13, a few verses before the passage we read this morning, it says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So clearly there is a correlation, there is an explicit correlation, connection, between obeying the law and righteousness. So what do I mean by saying this? Keeping the law does not make you righteous. Well, here's the thing. The obedience that's referred to in this verse 12, uh, pardon me, verse 13 of chapter 2, is what is made clear in verse 15 when it says that it is about what is written in the heart and the response that we would have of a heart relationship with the Lord. Our obedience to the law, our keeping of the law, our focus on the law is not because of what we know in our head and what we do with our hands, but it's because of what's in the heart. It's our relationship with the Lord, and it's because we love the Lord that we want to obey him. It's because we have a relationship with him that we say we don't want to grieve him. It's because we hold him dear and precious and we say, Lord God, I want to know you and to be intimate with you. We say, oh, I want to be kept from sin so that I would not be kept from you. I want to be close to you. And so we come to the Lord and we observe what he commands us to do because of the relationship that we have. It's not we keep the law and therefore we have the relationship. Or we keep the law and therefore we're made righteous. See, keeping the law without keeping a right heart causes us to become moralists. We're morally right. And we're looking for moral purity. But we continue to have, and we, can, we had, and we continue to have all these feelings, emotion, when we're doing the right thing. Oh God, look at me, I'm so good before you. That was what the Pharisee had to say. I have kept the law. I have observed all these things. Look at this sinner over here. I, on the other hand, I feel good about who I am. It's not what we sang about, you know, I know who I am or I know who you say I am. It's again, as we have said in the past, it's what I think I am. And so morality, moral behavior, good behavior, keeping the law without keeping a right heart, causes us to have this kind of feeling that we're doing the right thing, but there is actually a deadness, an emptiness, an insecurity inside of us. You know that of yourself, you know that of other people. Many who even have grown up in the church, 
But there is no security in saying, I belong to the Lord Jesus. There is no confidence in saying, I have this relationship with the Lord Jesus. There is no joy of the Lord that is their strength. Instead, they live in this sort of, yep, I'm a Christian. And the Bible is speaking about it and saying, no, keeping the law without keeping the heart doesn't do anything. Keeping the law without keeping a right heart before God means that we rely on our keeping the law to put us in right standing before God. Look at me, God. I'm keeping the law. I'm good. I deserve your blessing. I deserve your answer to prayer. I deserve things to be going well. Why? Because I'm keeping the law. I'm doing good. We're not relying on God to sanctify us. We're not relying on God to do his work. We are relying on our good works. And as we go through Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4, we'll learn more about what does make us righteous. What, what is it that actually makes us righteous before the Lord? But in Romans chapter 1 and 2, these two chapters here, we're learning that the problem with our good works, our righteousness, is that it is never good enough. And, I, and this is not a put down. I mean, I'm not, I'm not you know, this is not a, you know, a downer, right? Oh, I come Sunday morning and, the, and the, you know, he's just telling me I can never do. No, no, it's not that. It's to be rejoicing, to say, oh, you know what? My good works will never be good enough. I have to rely on God. I have to rely on him. I have to come to him and say, oh, Lord, thank you for the blood that was shed for me. Thank you for the sacrifice that you did. Thank you that you died on my behalf. Because my good works are never good enough. And if you're in a marriage relationship for any period of time, you know that, right? You know that. Your spouses are constantly reminding you of that. Your good works are never good enough. So you know that you're, there's no opportunity for you to boast in your goodness. That's not a downer. That's not a, you know, a discouragement. That's a great impetus for us to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I can't keep the law and be righteous. I can't keep the commands and be good. See, here's the consequence of our self-reliance. When we think that by doing the right thing, saying the right words, and keeping the right laws, we are right. We deceive ourselves and become hypocritical. Because you see, keeping the law without keeping the heart makes us hypocrites. Paul points to teaching others, but not teaching ourselves. To preaching against stealing, but stealing ourselves. Speaking out against adultery, but committing it ourselves. Condemning idols, but worshiping idols and robbing temples. These are figurative terms that he's using here. And robbing temples ourselves. And he says all these things are just acts of hypocrisy. So why is it that we don't practice what we preach? Why is it that Christians are hypocrites? Why do people around you quite freely say, Christians are oh, hypocrites? 
They don't hesitate to tell you that. To your face, they'll tell you that. Right? Why? Why is that so? Why? There is, of course, our self-righteousness. We think we're right. We think we're doing well. We think we're good. So we sort of self-righteously behave and speak and act and you know, morally superior and all of that. And the, we've considered those points in previous weeks. And we treat others as not good enough even when we are guilty of the very things that we are judging them about. Right? And people see that. People know it. People recognize that that's what we're doing. But there are at least three other reasons for why we are hypocrites. One, we're deceived. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. How many of us, you know, I mean, how, at least on one day, you know, during the past week, past month, you said, oh, I'm doing pretty well. I did my quiet time. No, Salva says no. Uh, I did my quiet time today. I didn't say an unkind word to anybody. I know I, I, I did my job diligently. I went to bed at the right time. I actually exercised. You know, I, I did well today. I was good. Right? I, 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 was, I was good. And, you know, I, I, I spoke only words of grace throughout the day. I, I took captive all my thoughts. I lived according to the commands of the Lord. And I said at the end of the day, oh God, this was a good day. Oh, I go to sleep tonight, happy. The Bible said if you, anyone thinks that they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. So many downers this, this morning. When we think that we're doing all the right things and think too highly of ourselves, we can be easily deceived. Because here's the thing. We don't even realize that we're being hypocrites. And the devil is quite happy to leave us in that state. Because the devil doesn't really need to make us think we're evil. Right? If we thought we were evil, we're doing the wrong things, we're, doing, we're being bad, we're hurting somebody, we're do, uh, our conscience bothers us, somebody tells us, you know, something happens and we say, uh. but if the devil can get you to think that you're doing everything right, that you're good, that you don't need anybody, that you're, you know, you're a good Christian. If the devil can get you to feel that way, you will never repent. You will never seek change. You will not seek to be transformed into his image. Because you're saying, I'm pretty good. You know, maybe not perfect, but who's perfect? So I'm pretty good. And we don't seek to come to the Lord. We are deceived in our self-righteousness, in our thinking too highly of ourselves. The second reason that we are hypocrites is because we are lazy. The scriptures are replete with calls to diligence, discipline, fighting, running, laboring, persevering. These are not the attributes of a lazy person. Keeping the law while keeping the heart takes effort, takes time takes resources, and we have all the right intentions and desires, but when it comes right down to it, 
we're often just too lazy to do what we're supposed to do. It's like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. It was a pretty good day today. I'll do this other thing tomorrow, even though I know the Lord was telling me to do it. I, I said an unkind word. I was convicted of it. The Holy Spirit was telling me to apologize. But you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. It's a lot of work. It's late. And we get lazy about doing what we are supposed to do. And what do we do? We tell people that we are doing the right thing. We tell them that we are taking care of what needs to be taken care of. That we are being obedient to the Lord. Because why? I mean, you know, we, we do, we understand it. We have the right desire. We have an intention to say sorry to that person. We just haven't done it. But we say to others, you know, yeah, we're doing that. You, on the other hand, you know, you didn't ask me for forgiveness. But, you know, I'm, I'm intending to ask this other person for forgiveness. And we are lazy about what we know that we should be doing. And the third reason that we tend to be hypocrites, we're seeking to please people and not God. And this is very related to the, this point is very related to our being lazy. In the sense that, you know, here, Paul makes the contrast between the people, between seeking the praise of people and seeking the praise of God. He's making that contrast here. And so we tell people that we're doing the right things because we want them to think well of us. We want them to praise us. We want somebody to say, oh, you, you know, you're a good Christian. At the memorial service that I was at yesterday, I mean, people got up and said, what a great Christian. Now, I, I, I truly do believe that this man was a man of God, but we've got to ask ourselves the question, are we seeking the praise of men more than the praise of God? Because we will be hypocritical in our behavior. We will present a front. We will do certain things. We will talk in a certain way. We'll behave so that we have the favor of people. And we will not pay as much attention to whether God is pleased with us and, quite importantly, whether God praises us. I mean, when God spoke about Job, he said, here is a devout man. When Jesus sees Nathanael, he says, here is a man in whom there is no guile. When David, led by the Spirit, speaks about being a man after God's own heart, and, and God describes him in that way, it is the praise of God, not the praise of people. So if we're waiting for the people around us, maybe those that we have not I mean, those that have just met us and, or those that have known us for a long time. And we're waiting for them to say, wow, you're good. Right? It can get to us. It can affect us. We can seek it. And now it becomes addicting. And we say, you know what? The way that I can get the praise of people is to do this. Is to behave this way. Is to have this gift and talent is to present myself in this way. It's to go to this place. It's to associate with this person. And that way, 
I can be something. The Lord's not asking for any of that. He says, are you living in such a way that even as you were reminded, even as we were reminded last week, that we would know what is the good, acceptable, and pleasing will of the Lord. That he would be pleased in us. That he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Ultimately, Paul, Paul is warning us that when we don't practice what we preach, we dishonor and blaspheme God. When, you know, it's not just a matter of, ah, I didn't do it, or nobody knows, or whatever. We're accountable to God. When we don't practice what we preach, we dishonor and blaspheme God. Our sin is not against others. It's against God. Which brings us to this point, that keeping the law requires a circumcision of the heart. Keeping the law requires a circumcision of the heart. Just as physical circumcision makes a permanent change in terms of what is cut away, the circumcision of the heart implies a permanent change in terms of what is removed, in terms of what is melted away, in terms of the hardness that is removed and made soft. There's a permanent change that is to be reflected. Physical circumcision, and we're going to see more of this in other chapters, physical circumcision was the outward sign of a covenant relationship that God established with Abraham. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm establishing this covenant with you, and as a sign of this covenant, you're going to be circumcised. All your male descendants are going to be circumcised. And this was not, and he's not doing that so that he's saying, well, the women are left out. He's speaking about the principle, the fact that this mark, this physical sign is about the heart. That's why Paul is saying this. Paul's not creating a new doctrine. Paul is saying circumcision is of the heart. And so circumcision of the heart manifests itself in the outward signs of our covenant relationship with God. We have a relationship with God that is established in covenant, and as a result of that, our hearts are circumcised. Something that is clear, something that is visible, something that is evident to everyone. And we say, we're no longer who we used to be. We're different. This uh, coming Wednesday during the sermon discussion, we'll talk a little bit more about this particular point. And in Colossians chapter 2, there's a direct connection about circumcision of the heart and what Jesus did on the cross. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more on Wednesday during the sermon discussion at 7. But today, all I want to do is just get you to think about these specific points when we say that keeping the law does not make us righteous. Keeping the law without keeping the heart can cause us to be hypocrites and to be hypocritical. And keeping the law requires, keeping the law with keeping the heart, requires a circumcision of the heart, a change of the heart, um, a difference in who we are. Which means that as we think about all of these things and we understand these things, 
we respond to what we understand by keeping the law along with keeping our hearts. The Bible is never saying to us, the law has passed away. It says the law has been fulfilled. We still have to obey. We still have to obey what the Lord has told us to do. When he says, do not kill, he's not saying that that applied only in the Old Testament and now that we're under grace, you can kill. When he says, do not steal, he's not saying, well, now, you know, you can be forgiven of your sins and the blood of Jesus cleanses you. Go ahead and steal. Go ahead and lie. Go ahead and do whatever else. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, keep the law. Keep the commands. Do these things that I've ordered you to do. Do them for your own protection so that they will keep you from willful sin and all of the things that will corrupt you or, or cause you to become blemished. I want you to be pure. I want you to be preserved. So that, you know, even, again, as we sang this morning, as we are awaiting his coming, he's saying to us, keep my law, keep my commands, walk in my ways, do that which would be right in the sight of the Lord. But as you're doing that, do it because your heart is being kept. Do it because your circumcised heart is kept in that state of softness, of melted, of, of, of being purified, of being cleansed, of being washed. Keep it that way. Stay in Jesus. Abide in me. That's what the Lord is telling us to do. So when we respond to this word, when we consider these, these truths out of the word of God, we don't just read them and say, oh, okay, that, that sounds good. We've got to respond. We've got to say, Lord God, I need to keep the law and I need to keep my heart in you. And I need to see the work of the Holy Spirit manifest in me. Oh Lord God, do it. Do it. I come to you. I respond. And as we respond to the Lord Jesus, as we say, Lord God, we are responding to you, we don't just respond in terms of our thinking. We apply in terms of our actions. So we now say, look, I, I, I hear the word of God. I understand the word of God. I comprehend that the Holy Spirit is convicting me of sin, righteousness, judgment, and is bringing these truths to my mind and as understanding and my understanding. But having gained that understanding, having heard the word, I am a doer of the word. I have to apply. I have to do what your word tells me to do. I don't merely hear it and then go away. But rather I listen and apply. I do what the word tells me to do. And what is it that we need to do in response to this word? Well, one very simple statement is we, need, we apply by practicing what we preach. I'm not suggesting to you that every single person needs to immediately be preaching, meaning you're standing up in a public place, you're declaring the word of the Lord, you're going through doctrine, and you're, you know, it's not, that's not the point. This very simple statement here is, do you say that you're a Christian? Do you say that you know, and, and Paul lists all those things about you know, teaching the young and doing these things. And You may not be doing any of those things, but are you in any, any sense of the word saying, I'm a Christian? I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. 
that simple statement is your preaching, is your declaration, is your statement to the world that there's something different about you. There is something that has changed in your heart and in your life because of Jesus Christ. And then, if that's the case, practice what you preach. Now, if you do stand up in a public place, the Bible says that if you teach, if you preach, if you're telling people, you're even more accountable for your words. So I always say this, when I say something here, I first have to say this to myself. I have to preach to myself. I have to say, oh Lord, convict me of this. Let me set this right. Let me be careful and deliberate about what I'm doing, right? But we have to all equally, whether we're saying something out loud or not, practice what we preach. And the application of this, you see, when we consider the topic of judgment, we said, since our own thoughts and words bear witness about us before God, when we stand before God, our own words and our own thoughts, our, our conscience is bearing witness. God doesn't have to have a list, right? He, like I said before, he doesn't have to say, let me tell you. He says, you tell me. And our own words are bearing witness of what we did, of what we thought, of how we behaved. So when we considered the topic of judgment, we said, all right, our own thoughts and words bear witness about us before God. So the point of application for us was to have our mouths and our conscience cleansed. And say, Lord God, wash my mouth out with soap. Cleanse my mouth. Do the something in me so that my words and my thoughts are clean, pure, right before you. This morning, as we're talking about practicing what we preach, the point of application is similar in that we must commit to practice what we preach. We have to say, Lord God, we have to mean what we say and say what we mean. Right? We have to mean what we say. If we tell somebody something, even if it's a very simple thing, you know, I'll be there at whatever, you know, this time, or I'll do this, I'll do that. We have to say what we mean. We have to mean what we say. If you say, I love you to your wife, you got to mean what you say. We've got to be able to have that kind of accountability. We have to commit to keep our word. We have to commit to do what God says. We have to commit to please the Lord. I said earlier that Paul refers to not applying what we learn. He says you are teaching, but you know, teaching others, but you're not teaching yourselves. So we're not applying what we learn. He says we are taking or coveting what is not ours, right? We're stealing. And he says we're giving in to our lusts and our appetites without restraint. We're, we're committing all sorts of stuff. We're giving in to our lusts and our appetites, to whatever drives us. We're giving in to it. And we are practicing idolatry in the sense that we have lifted up certain idols in our lives and we worship those idols. They may not be physical objects. They may not be identified, but we worship these idols. We give our time. We give our talent. We give our treasure, we give ourselves 
to that. Whatever it may be, your career, your kids, your, your health, your looks, whatever you're, you're, you feel that you're giving yourself to. Sometimes maybe even without rea re realizing it. But we do this. And Paul says, Paul's referring to this and he says, when we apply, well, pardon me, when we don't apply what we learn, when we take or covet what is not ours, when we give in to our lusts and appetites without restraints, and when we are practicing idolatry, these are acts of hypocrisy because we're doing all these things ourselves but condemning others for doing them. We look at the other person and we say, oh, they're doing all these wrong things. And here we are doing those very same things. So what's the point of application? That we would practice what we preach. You know, this, this, this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, what areas in your life do you need to address? What areas in your life do you know that you don't practice what you preach? You know what the right thing is. You know what the biblical truth is. You know what, it is, what is to be done. And you can even state it. You're, you're, you can be quite articulate about that truth. But you don't do it. For whatever reason. Maybe you're deceived about it. Maybe you're lazy to not do it. Maybe you, you know, you're trying to set a certain image before people. Whatever the reason. Maybe some other reason that I haven't even talked about. You know. And when you pray, you know, you can say, oh God, this is the area. I say this, but I do this. They're not together. They're not in sync. I ask you, Lord, to make a change. That I may practice what I preach. That I may preach what I practice. And if we're doing that honestly before the Lord and coming to Him and asking Him for that, you know, there are, there are some prayer requests we bring to the Lord and we say, oh Lord, I'm asking you this and I'm asking you this and I'm asking for so many years and I don't have an answer. You know, but there are certain prayer requests that the Lord is very quick to answer. When we say, Lord God, show me where I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Show me where I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. I, I tell you, you'll get a quick answer. Because the Lord shows you. And by the way, don't wait for an angelic voice from heaven to tell you. It could come through your spouse. It could come through your children. It could come through your ungodly boss. It could come through some way that you don't even expect. But the Lord will show you that there is an area in your life where you're not practicing what you preach. And that's the area that I would challenge you this week that you would say, Lord God, what do I need to do? In just a few minutes, we're going to go into communion. We're going to go into participating in the Lord's Supper. And so our time of reflection, our time of application, our time of coming to the altar as such, and as of submitting this word before the Lord and having him work this change in us regarding this word is, is as we are participating in the Lord's Supper, in the communion. Right? We're going to be, take that opportunity. But I want to encourage you. This is not a word of discouragement this morning. I want to encourage you that you would prepare your hearts, that you would ask the Lord to circumcise your heart, that you would say, Lord God, I want to walk in these kinds of ways because when I do this, oh, there is great victory. There is great joy. There's great peace. There's a life abundant. There's a fruit 
that is born. Oh, there is a, there is a difference in how I can live as a child of God, as a Christian, as a person who belongs to the Lord Jesus. So this morning, let's ask the Lord to make this change in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, your word is, uh, Lord, it, it is a sharp, two-edged sword. It cuts and divides our thoughts and intents of the heart, and it reveals them and causes us, as these things are laid bare before you, to say, Lord Jesus, you come and have your way. You come and make a change. You come and do this work in us that we may be able in every possible means, in every possible, Lord, opportunity to truly practice what we preach. Even, Lord, the very simple declaration that we are children of God, that we are Christians, that we belong to the Lord Jesus. Let us live up to that truth that we have attained. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our midst. And Father, we pray that you will reinforce this word to us, that you will cause us, Lord, to cling to you, keep your laws keeping our heart, and seeing the transformation that you will bring. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.